Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee. Talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome to Off The Tee. What a massive, massive week it has been in the wonderful world of golf when we talk all things golf on Off The Tee. And no one better to do it with than the man who was a former world number 16, the only man with a two-zip record against the great Tiger Woods in match play golf. I speak of Curl, of course, of Nick O'Hearn. Hello, Nick. Hey, Sam. It's great to chat again. And uh, after a major two, I love these weeks. We've got a big show lined up. We're going to go through all the goings on at the US Open. It was action-packed. It was drama-filled. But more importantly, it was as heartwarming a finish to a US Open as we have seen. Wyndham Clark, we will talk all about him and every other story in and around what was a fantastic third major of the year. We'll ask a few of the questions. What happens next in the Live PGA DP World Tour commercial partnership? We'll have a look at the women's PGA that's this week and all your favourite segments, of course. Uh, the Mulligan will award this week, Nick's tip of the week, that and a whole lot more. Uh, but, Nick, let's start with this. Yeah! He takes down all the stars in Los Angeles to win the United States Open. Well, that was the moment, Nick, that Wyndham Clark won just his second professional event, 32nd in the world coming in, 29 years of age, only turned pro in 2017. His best result in a major was a 75th at the PGA in 2021, 76th at the Open last year. He had one PGA win to his name last month, and he has just won the 123rd US Open. What a tournament. What a win. It certainly was. I mean, wow. And and it was a fascinating way that Saturday ended. He hit one of the, you know, shots of the tournament on the final hole on Saturday and he gave it an all-time club twirl. I mean, he'd been practising that probably since he was a kid and it was one of the best club twirls I've ever seen and to make birdie there that got him into the final group with Ricky Fowler on Sunday and and again going into Sunday you know we're all talking about Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler and we were kind of thinking yeah it's great that Wyndham Clark's up there but does anyone give him a real shot at it and I tell you what just what a performance it was I mean he started off beautifully by birding the first made a great up and down on number one gave it back on two but his shot on the fourth the par three, you know, you kind of had to go, okay, this guy is, uh, he's he's really feeling good. And the, the thing that impressed me most about it on that par three was that he didn't even use a tee, he just dropped the ball on the ground and rolled it over to a spot and hit a five iron off this, you know, bare patch of turf and he ripped it to about four feet, made birdie. So his confidence was obviously there. He'd been playing some amazing golf. I mean, his last uh, eight starts, he's had four top sixes. So uh, he's been playing some phenomenal golf. And, and I think one of the interesting parts about his story is that he hasn't had a coach for the last 18 months either. So he's, he's sort of been a bit self-reliant in that regard and, and he's able to, 
He's figured out a way to own his golf swing and, and own his ball flight, more importantly. He'd been struggling with that for quite a while. And since he started almost coaching himself, he's figured out that that works best for him. So it was an incredible performance. And we can talk more in detail as we go along about how he did it. But uh, for me, I think his short game is oh. what really stood out because, you know, he, he hit the ball great, obviously. He had this nice, mm. beautiful fade off the tee. is very long, but... When he missed the green, he just hit some phenomenal shots to get it up and down. Uh, don't think he missed a green. Uh, on He didn't miss the 18th all throughout the tournament. Uh, and I think it was the back nine where I don't think he missed a green either. But the the you're right about oh, the short game. Oh, he did. Game. Trust me. <laughs> uh, no, there was a stat that they showed, uh, and I've just sort of rolled through it incorrectly. But he, his ability to go tee to green was probably, uh, you know, above – all those big names that he was playing with, uh, and they talked about the regularity of his ability to hit the green. Um, the chipping, though, that you mentioned, the, the, the chip on the, – there was three chips that stood out. Yep. There was the chip mm-hmm. on six. He had two feet in yep. uh, the bunker, which was twice that he did that. That was to get birdie. The chip in on eight to get, make the bogey. But the pass save on nine, when Rory had just missed a birdie incredible. on ten, he had two feet in the bunker. The ball's up at about his knee level. And he's chipping away from the hole to get it to come back. To just phenomenal. I mean, every major Nick, we, and every week, every time there's a major we talk about, there's a shot that defines it. I reckon for me, that was the shot that defined that tournament for him. Yeah, well, he just made a great bogey on eight. I mean, he, he missed the green left there and he, he tries to hack it out. The ball doesn't move. Then he hits the next one. Uh, goes over the other side of the green, makes a great up and down for bogey on eight, which was a real key. And he's in uh, in his com- conference afterwards, press conference, he was saying, you know, he's starting to speed up. So his caddy was great, helped him slow down and make sure they made that bogey. Six, you know, isn't pretty on your scorecard, but at this particular moment, he still had the lead. And then that up and down on nine to have the presence mm. to go away from the flag. And I think the best part about that whole thing was, on the coverage that we watched, Paul Azinger saying, oh, well, that ball's going to stay up there. It's not going to come back. And then it's moved back about <laughs> six feet. And he goes, well, that's not going to be any good. It's not going to get any closer. And it just keeps going and going. I mean, Azinger, it was like having someone on the couch just sort of watching it and, <laughs> you know, commentating along. And then he made about an eight-footer. It was a clutch par putt. And then on 11, I think that was his best up and down of the day. He did miss the green on the par three, pulled mm. it left, and that's just dead down there. He's got to hit a flop shot and he knocks it up to four feet, holds that, and you're thinking, wow. But the, one of the most impressive things for me was his tee shot on 12 where everyone else was hitting three wood, laying it up, and he stands up there with driver and just rips one up the left over the tree, cuts it back into the fairway. And it was at that particular moment I thought, okay, this guy – He's trying to grab in this tournament by, with both hands and win it. He's not trying to hang on or do anything like that. And it was it was so impressive. And then obviously everything turned on the 14th hole, the par five. Rory, you know, he hits it in the bunker. It's in beds. He gets a lucky drop and everything. But he ends up making bogey. That was his chance really right there to force the issue a little bit. And then the shot of... I think Wyndham Clark's life was that three wood that he hit in there to onto the green and, and he made birdie. And that gave him that nice little mm. cushion for the remaining holes. The 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 reason I thought that nine was so important was it wasn't that was finally five holes later that uh, Rory faltered uh, on fourteen, um, which we'll go back to that in a moment. But the the I, I mean, you and I were texting during it, and, and early on I said, mm. "Who do you think wins?" And you you said Clark, and I said, "I'll go with Rory." It just feel it just <laughs> felt like everything was happening for Rory because what he wasn't doing, 
And we'll talk more about McElroy, but what McElroy didn't seem to be doing was what he has tended to do is look for the amazing shot. As I said, every major is defined by a shot. Sometimes it felt like Rory was always looking for that rather than just letting that play out. He was playing the percentages really well for most of, of that round. And I text you and said, I think it'll be Rory, but what I'm loving about Wyndham Clark is that got all these big names around him. They're having big moments. And we're going to speak about all the records that were there looking to be toppled by all the other players uh, around him trying to create their own history like Chauflay and like Ricky Fowler. He's playing with Ricky Fowler, who turns out is actually his idol and mentor. Um, They went to the same college, uh, not together, but uh, Ricky goes back a lot to help mentor um, the Oklahoma State University um, college guys. That's where they got to know each other. He's been a mentor for him on tour. He's got the same putter because that's what Ricky uses. So he's playing next to a guy that's been so important in his life. And Ricky's got the crowd on his side. That's the story because it's finally going to happen for Ricky Fowler, the man I thought was going to battle Rory out for supremacy of that generation, which hasn't quite happened. So it's all going in on around him, but he's cooler than the, the other side of two to three pillows. And I text you and said... He's not playing with any pressure. There's no pressure on him. The pressure's on everyone else around him. He's playing like a guy with absolute freedom and absolute confidence and swagger in his own game. But I asked you, do you think he'll be able to maintain it at the end when it starts to dawn on him what's about to happen? And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, here we go. 15, 16, the bogey's come. The door gets open for McElroy. He couldn't step through it. And Wyndham was able to close it. And I thought that was the most impressive part of it all. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, the... The, the par five, the 14th, was the turning point. I think that gave him a three-shot cushion. So he could make those bogeys. I mean, the, the one on 15 was just an awful bogey. He was the only guy to bogey that short little par three. And yes. that was a bit of a letdown, that par three, the whole week, to be honest. I mean, the way they built that little short hole mm. up to be something phenomenal and it just was a bit of a – it's a great little hole and maybe they didn't get the conditions they wanted, but it turned out to be a little bit of a dud in that sense. But when he made bogey on 16, I thought, okay – uh, 17, that's one of the toughest holes on the golf course. Can he get through this? Mm. And he got a little lucky with his approach. He pulled it left, but he had a beautiful little chip, made his par, and then you could sort of just feel that, okay, he's probably got this under control again. But you look back and you were talking about Rory earlier. I mean, he, he played that solid... US Open style round that he needed to to win the Mm. tournament. Unfortunately for him, it really just came down to the two par fives, the eighth where he hit two nice shots just short of the green and he three putts from there. If he birdies that and then if he just hits a wedge on 14, pass the flag, don't come up short, make a par there... He wins the golf tournament ultimately. Yeah. So he's he's got to be kicking himself and thinking, you know, I didn't do much wrong. It had that St. Andrews feel to it again like didn't the it? Open Championship last year. He just didn't make any putts. But, I mean, no one was really making any putts anyway that final day. It was, it was a brutal test out there. The greens were firmer. The pins were tucked a little more. And um, I feel for Rory, that's for sure. And, I mean, he always wears his heart on his sleeve and he said mm. in the press conference afterwards, you know, I'll go through 100 more of these Sundays to get one more major, but I'm, I'm, I think that's a bit of a stretch. But uh, I hope it's at Hoylake that he can get through that barrier. Uh, we're going to talk Rory. We'll talk Scotty Scheffler. We'll talk Ricky Fowler. We'll talk Chauvelet. And we'll talk about the Aussies as well because there was some really positive stuff from an Australian point of view. But as we stick, just stick with Wyndham Clark, this was him uh, after the win. This is now my second win um, on the PJ Tour, and <clears throat> first one was surreal, and this one's surreal. So, um, you know, it hasn't quite hit me yet. Walking up 18 was pretty emotional, and then finishing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind of the last five, six weeks. It's been 
Uh, I'm just so blessed and humbled to be here. I started off great, and I felt really good and confident about um, my game. Um, you know, unfortunately, I bogeyed the second hole, but I felt like I rebounded well and birdied in the fourth. Um, and, you know, I got a little unlucky on, on hole eight, but I just felt like I bounced back and kept my emotions about me. And, um, you know, I hit some great shots coming down at the end. And although I made a couple bogeys and it seemed like maybe uh, the rails were coming off, I was inside pretty, uh, pretty calm. So um, I'm, I'm really pleased with myself with how I performed. Uh, so that was at the press conference afterwards. Nick, the emotion that he was feeling um, all centered around that his whole family were there, except one person, and that was his mum, uh, who he lost when he was at college to, to breast cancer. And you saw it all just come to him, and the family were all in tears. They were hugging on the green together. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of relief, um, and there was a lot of joy and, and sadness all mixed in. And you know, Ricky comes up to him and gives him the hug and then goes back and just says to him, and he revealed later that he said, if your mum was here, she'd be so proud of you, you know, watching over you. And he said some beautiful words about Wyndham's mum. So there was a real heartwarming feel to all of this as well. Yeah, there certainly was. I mean, Ricky's obviously a class act and uh, he's he's one of the most liked pros on tour whenever they do those surveys. But Mm. I I must admit, I I had a tear in my eye as well when he held that winning putt and you'd see him sort of look to the heavens and you knew he was thinking about his mum and, He's been through some pretty dark times, I believe, um, yep. once she passed away and and really almost uh, uh, thought about giving up the game. And for him to come, you know, full circle and, and to get to the levels that he's gotten to is just a testament to the amount of work that it takes to do what he's done as well. Because at that highest level, it's such a fine line between being on tour and not being on tour and then there's another fine line to actually uh, consistently performing well and then there's another fine line to winning and then to win a major. It's just all these different fine lines and different levels that he got to get through. So I'm just uh, – I'm so happy for the how he uh, – how he held it all together towards the end. It would have been horrible if he'd have three-putted that last and they went into a playoff. Though Rory was obviously probably praying for that at that point. But um, he deserved the win, to be honest, after watching and thinking about it a bit later on, how he played the golf course, how he went about it. And uh, to play alongside his idol, as you said, in Ricky Fowler, that's, mm. uh, that's something pretty special as well. Did you ever play against your idol? <laughs> well... You know, I did I have idols growing up? Yeah, I mean, I had a few idols. Greg, well, I never played against Jack Nicholas. He was my main idol. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he was well before my time. Did shake his hand at his tournament? Um, so that, that's pretty cool. I, I've, <laughs> yes, I've you know I've met. Him, I've had a lot of good discussions with Jack, and he's uh, he's a legend. But uh, I got to play with Seve. He was another idol, which was fun. And then Greg Norman growing up as well. Yeah, always enjoyed playing with Greg because I, it's funny. I, I always just I love playing with better players because I always felt that I learned so much. The first time I played with Greg was in the 98, uh, Greg Norman Holden International, his own tournament at the Australian. And he, he shot 64 that day and I'll never forget it. And I learned so much. And then the next time I played with him, I beat him. And after that, wow. I kept beating him. So I love playing against him. And uh, <laughs> he actually doesn't like it if you beat him. No, but uh, it's one of those things. <laughs> um, but it's, it's fun playing against those sorts of people that you've always looked up to. So the mental... Um, stability that he was able to show to be able to compartmentalize his love for Ricky, knowing that Ricky could have been on the verge of something that it's eluded him since he turned professional in 2009. We'll go through the numbers a little later and focus on what he was there doing. So this is a life changing thing that's happened for Wyndham Clark. It is for anyone who wins a major, but just have a think about this. 
Seven events ago, he was in an opposite field event because he didn't qualify for the Dell match play. Since then, he won the Welsh Fargo last month and the US Open in just four starts. He's earned more than $7 million now in about a month. He's now 13th in the world. He was 32nd before that. And before Wells Fargo, in the six years that he'd been a pro, he'd just won just $2.5 million. So, I mean, that is just – he's on a whole nother level now, and he's inside the top 15, I think 13th in the world, as I just said. So that's – it doesn't get a bigger flip uh, script flip than that. Mm, no, you're spot on. And it, it's it's funny in that sense, the, the game of golf, how all of a sudden you can get on a little bit of run, a bit of confidence at the right time, and and you can just go gangbusters. And that's what he's done. He's taken advantage of his opportunities. Every now and then, for every professional golfer out there that's on tour, there's always these little glimmers that come along where you've got to grasp it when they do come along. And, and some people take those opportunities and others, unfortunately, don't. But uh, it's an incredible run for him. And I hope... I mean, I, I think he deserves a spot yeah. in the Ryder Cup coming up now with that sort of performance. You read my mind. I was just going to ask you about that, and I'm glad you answered that question. Hey, we've still got so much more to get through on uh, this U.S. Open review. We're going to talk about the other stories that are in and around uh, the U.S. Open that's just been run and won by Wyndham Clark, and then there's a whole lot of other stuff on the agenda as well on Off the Tee. Uh, back after this. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee. Talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Your golf course was playing, um, you know, was playing really tricky and, and obviously the, you know, the scores in the final few groups reflected that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't feel I, you know, there's a couple of things that I probably would have done differently, but, um, you know, all in all, I... I played a solid round of golf. I, um, you know, that one wedge shot on 14, missed birdie putt on eight. Um, really, apart from that, I, I did everything else, the, you know, the way I wanted to. Um, but yeah, fine, fine, fine margins at this at this level and and at this tournament especially. And um, but you know, I, I fought to the very end. I um, obviously never give up, and you know, well, I'm getting closer. Um, you know, I, the, the more I keep myself in these positions, sooner or later it's going to happen for me. And um, just got to regroup and, and get focused for Hoylake in a few weeks' time. So that was uh, world number three, Rory McIlroy, who lo- who came second uh, in the U.S. Open by just one shot. Uh, Wyndham Clark, uh, in his just second PGA win, gets his first major. It was his third professional win. He finished at 10 under after shooting 64, 67, 69, 70. Rory shot 65, 67, 69, 70. So a nine under performance from Rory McIlroy. Um, Nick, it was the lowest ever score at a US Open by a player who didn't win. And, and and I just want to throw another stat at you. It's the fourth time Rory has shot 67 or under on the first two days of a major. The fourth time he's done it. The first time, the 2011 US Open. The second time, the 2014 PGA Championship and the 2014 US Open was the third time. Those were majors that he won. This was one that uh, eluded him, as so many have been in, in recent times. Yeah, I'm not sure that stat of shooting the lowest total without winning uh, is something that he'll uh, he'll think too kindly of. But no. he, he um, you know, he got off to that great start, 65, 67, put himself right in position, and then he just couldn't hole a putt on the weekend. It seemed, but he hit 15 greens on Sunday, and 
And of the three he missed, you know, two of those were not very far off and he ended up using a putter from off the green. So I think he had 34 putts for the day and the longest putt he held was from about seven feet for a par on 16. So a lot of birdie chances. Unfortunately, not of many of them were very close. Most of them were outside 20, 30 feet. So it was tough to hit the ball close on those, uh, you know, on those firmer greens. And, and on Sunday, the conditions definitely changed. So as I said earlier, he played, he played the round of golf he needed to. It was just those two par fives, eight and 14. If he'd have played those just a stroke better, he would be holding the trophy and we wouldn't be sort of lamenting another one that got away from him. It's now it's a nine-year drought. And mm. the good news for him is he's playing some of the best golf of his career, I think. I mean, he's really starting to fire on all cylinders. And the next major is at a venue, Hoylake, Royal Liverpool, where he has won before. So a lot of good vibes going into it. And I think he's he's got – I'm going to – it's an early call, but he's my pick right now. So I'm going to well, throw it out there. But it's not crazy, Nick, because every time – I mean, I, he's had his battles this year. Yes, he missed the cut at the Masters and – uh, and yes, he's had some final day fades despite finishing seventh at the PGA Championship, but he's finished top 10 in six out of the last seven majors. His, his record in outside his four wins, to so take them away, he's got 13 top fives, 25 top tens. And as I say, top 10 in every major last year and two out of three this year. So uh, that's 17 top fives and 29 top tens. And he's been second three times. That was the the third time in his career that he has uh, come second in a major. He's got about four thirds uh, as well. But it's the six out of seven that I think you've got to respect. Not that you don't respect Rory McIlroy anyway, but that has to be the form line that you're looking at coming into the Open. Oh, for sure. But uh, I can guarantee he'd give them all up. He'd give all those runner-ups, thirds, top tens yeah. for, for one more major because that's really what anyone is remembered for at the end of the day. And the unfortunate thing for Rory is... He, he continually comes out and he says, look, these mean so much to me. And, and he's he's almost adding to the pressure. Yeah, and, uh, the grand and slam keeps, hangs over the head. It just keeps building. I mean, every time he goes to Augusta to complete the career mm. grand slam, you can just feel that, no, I'm not sure this is going to happen. But uh, I really hope it does for him because he's... He's obviously been the uh, the spokesperson for the PGA Tour over the last couple of years with what's been going on in world golf, and and he's a phenomenal athlete and golfer, and he should go down in history as winning seven or eight majors. And I think if he can just get one more at this stage, I mean, if he if he'd have won that U.S. Open, you could really see him reeling off another three or four quite easily. I yeah. think over the next few years, uh, a man that will definitely do that was the man that came third at seven under three shots back from the winner, Scotty Scheffler. Let's have a listen to him at the presser afterwards. I just felt like I wasn't sharp enough today to kind of move up the board. I uh, did a good job of kind of keep myself in it, but I just just wasn't sharp enough. Scotty, what was kind of the mentality coming into today, knowing you had to gain a fair amount of ground, going to a tough place, and what did you think of how the way the course played this afternoon? I was just trying to hit some good shots and get some looks, and I felt like on the front nine I didn't give myself enough opportunities for birdie, and then... Um, you know, on the back nine, I bogeyed 11 and 12, which kind of hurt my momentum. But then I bounced back nice with a birdie on 13. Um, but it's just tough out there. You got to, you got to put the ball in the right spots, and um, it's tough to make putts. But I mean, I fought hard today, and um, you know, I'm obviously a little frustrated to come up short. But you know, I put up a good fight, and you know, Wyndham played some fantastic golf this week, and so he's a well, well-deserving champion. Uh, so that was Scotty Scheffler. And what more do we say um, uh, about that man? I was uh, looking at. 
um, a little stat that I found on on Instagram, Nick, and that was looking at the players who had made all three cuts uh, of the majors this year and what their overall scores were, the aggregate scores at the 2023 majors, players who have made all three cuts. At 18 under is Scotty Scheffler, yet he hasn't won one this year. Brooks Kepka was at 18 under with him. And, of course, um, he had the win at the PGA. Victor Hovland was at 13 under. So five shots separating those top two. Rahm at 8 under, Cantlay 6 under, Schofield at 5 under, Smith at 3 under, Morikawa and Lowry as it goes down. But that's how well Scotty Scheffler is going without actually winning majors at the minute. It's scary, isn't it? I mean, he's he's kind of like a, a machine at the moment in any mm. any golf tournament, whether it be a major or a non-major. I think this was his 16th or 17th start where he hasn't finished outside the top 12. I mean, that is a phenomenal stat. It's very Tiger-esque in that regard. The only difference being with Scotty is that he's not winning as often mm. uh, as Tiger would in those sort of same period. He still has a couple of wins this year and he's played some obviously phenomenal golf. And the, the scary thing with Scotty is as though he... You know, he, he said, look, oh, he, he didn't really have it. He wasn't quite on song. And yet he just finished third at the US Open and, and he was in with a chance. And all week, you knew he just was kind of a little bit out of it. I mean, he, he, he was seven or eight shots back with, what was it, two holes to go on Saturday. And he goes, eagle, birdie, to all of a sudden be within three. And it was just, you're going, wow, this guy is just something else because his ability to get the most out of his game, even when it's not firing on all cylinders is just incredible and as he said his front nine he just he wasn't putting himself in the right positions I think he parred the first six holes and then bogeyed seven got a birdie back on eight and you thought okay well maybe this is the start of his charge but those bogeys on 11 and 12 cost him and he kind of knew at that stage he was out of it but to his credit he fought hard again and just another you know coming third at another major it's just yeah just phenomenal performance by him um before we get to the Aussies can I, can we just speak about Ricky Fowler I saw a video where somebody detailed everything he'd done over the four days that wasn't actually playing golf. The amount of time that he spent signing autographs into the dark with the fans that had come up, even after he had capitulated in the manner that he did. I mean, he finished tied for fifth, so that's an incredible achievement uh, anyway. But this is a guy who had the lowest ever 36-hole score at a US Open, the second lowest 54-hole score, the most birdies uh, in 36 holes at, at a US Open. So he's breaking records. He's looking to create his own piece of history. He turned pro in 2009, 13 top 10s, seven top fives, and, and, and three times he's been second uh, at majors. And after all that, going down and, and playing with the guy who you've helped throughout his college career, his pro career, um, he then went and signed more autographs uh, after he lost. Oh, I fell in love with Ricky Fowler over this tournament, Nick. I'm not ashamed to admit it. No, and, and rightly so. He's he's one of the nicest guys out there. I actually played with Ricky in his first pro tournament. You said he turned pro in 2009. Well, I played with him. It was at Greyhawk in Arizona, and I'd heard all the raps on this young man. And I was playing pretty good, and we were in the last, the second last group or the third last group on Sunday. And uh, I thought, oh, this will be interesting to see. And sure enough, I think he started with something like three birdies in his first six holes and then he had a hole in one on seven. And I thought, yeah, okay, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> I don't think he won the tournament, but he, he was just so impressive as to how he managed himself around the golf course. He plays at a fast pace, so that's always, you know, a check in the box for me because I don't really like playing with slow players. But the other thing is he's one of the nicest guys you can meet. I've had a couple of dinners with Ricky over the years and he's just a phenomenal young man. And uh, I can say young because I'm in my early 50s and he's in his 30s, but... Um, he, uh, as you said, he, he hangs around for the fans and understandably, you know, they all love him and he's got that orange 
orange gear that he wears on Sunday. And I was, I was, I really thought going into Sunday he was the man to beat because he'd been yeah. so composed over the first three days. He had that sort of self belief going. His swing has been tightened up nicely by Butch Harmon, yes. but he'll learn, he'll learn a lot from it. You know, the swing wasn't quite there. You could see it early on with the opening tee shot, the bogey on two, and you thought, uh, this might not be Ricky's day. And as it turned out, when you get behind the eight ball, especially in the U.S. Open, it's hard to press and hard to get those shots back. And unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. But um, he'll take a lot out of it and learn from it. And I think we're going to see uh, something pretty special from Ricky very soon. I really hope so. Nobody's been top 10 more times since 2010 at majors. 13 times now for Ricky Fowler. Kucher's at 12. Westwood is 11. Finau is 10. And Xander Schofler, who... You know, they both had 62s on the opening day. Uh, he was looking good, Xander, and then it fell apart for him on the final day. It's now 11 times for him. So you get the feeling that they're knocking on the door. Um, the Aussies. So Cam Smith, 69, 67, 71, and then a three-under day where, you know, that was really hard scoring. I think it was the second, equal second best round of the day. Uh, he finishes um, tied for fourth, Nick, and he believes that he is better now than he was when he won the Open last year. Oh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah. I think his game's really turned around since he had mm. that 62. It uh, might have been in Tulsa in the live event. Mm. And he's played some very, very good golf since. And uh, for him to have that confidence, this golf course set up beautifully for him, you know, with a little bit more forgiveness off the tee and you needed to have a good short game. And, and it, it proved that way. He... Uh, he just had a bit of a struggle on the Saturday round with that 71 and one over par, but he played beautifully on Sunday in those tough conditions. And, you know, he wasn't doing much through nine holes, but then all of a sudden he makes birdie on 11 and 12. And and then I thought, oh, if he can sneak about two or three more in here, he might be in with a chance. But he, he couldn't quite do it, but it was still an outstanding performance when he probably wasn't firing on all cylinders, but he, he still had a great week. And uh, I think the confidence for him right now is at an all-time high. We both had him as who we thought would be the, the, the top finishing Aussie. I actually picked him to win it. Um, but the guy we spoke, spent a fair bit of time talking about last week, and we do on the regular, is Minwoo Lee. I mean, this guy is so close, Nick. Um, 69-65, day one and two, a final day 67. He was the equal low round uh, shooting five under on day two. He shoots a three under day on round three. The only problem is day three, he has a four over. He ends up tied for fifth. His best ever finish um, at a major. It's a million, just around a million dollars uh, Australian payday uh, for him. He reckons the motivation was a text from Adam Scott to say that if you finish top 10, then you can come with me um, to the next event um, on my private jet. Because if you didn't have the exemption, then if you finish top 10 at the tournament, then you get to play the next uh, next week. So <laughs> he was going to go watch his sister in the women's PGA, uh, Min G, but he's now going... Um, to the farmers, I reckon it is. Um, what a, what the a motivation! The travellers. Sorry, there you go. Uh, the only, what a, what a motivation for a guy that you know has been a mentor for him. How smart's that from Scotty? Finish top ten, you can come with me on the private jet. Yeah, anytime you get a chance to fly on a private jet, it's always a nice thing. And I'm sure uh, Scotty's private jet is probably bigger than most as well. So uh, a, a brilliant, uh, you know, a brilliant little uh, thing from Scotty to say that to him. But, oh, you know, that, that was probably in the back of his mind. But uh, the thing that impressed me most about that Sunday round was it was bogey-free because on the, on the third round um, he had plenty of bogeys, even a double bogey, and it did cost him. And we're just looking for him to turn those 74, 75 days into a 70 or a 71. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's right up there with a chance to win a major. And uh, an outstanding performance. He's still very young. He's getting better and better. That was his highest finish in a major. 
And uh, I think uh, Hoylake could suit him as well because that'll be firm and fast and fiery, plenty of length. But he's learning every time he steps out on these big occasions and he's just getting better and better. Uh, all the other Aussies in the field missed the cut and some really big names did too as well. Phil Mickelson, uh, Justin Rose, uh, Justin Thomas. Um, and this caught my eye as we go to the break, Nick. Uh, you're doing pretty well. Uh, if you're Max Homer, who was another one. And I actually was one of my tips to go top 10 because he had the course record there as a college player. They're having a couple of sherbets were Justin Thomas uh, and Max <laughs> Homer and wanted a prediction. They wanted to ask some questions and do some commentary. And as we go to the break, after the end of day two, uh, you were saying how we're all thinking it was going to be one of the big names, one of the big stories. The only person I reckon that was tipping Wyndham Clark to win uh, was Max Homer. And not just win, by the amount and the score that he win by. We'll be back after this on Off The Tee. My prediction is that Wyndham Clark is going to win. Thank you for the microphone. Wyndham Clark is going to win at exactly 10 under par. Okay. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee. Talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Let's get a news update for Ping Golf. Use Ping Golf equipment so you can play your best. Nick, I, I, I saw something that gave me hope um, in the build-up to this US Open as we look to the news of the week, and it does centre around the PGA Live DP, the commercial partnership. Uh, it's not a merge, but it is a commercial partnership to be funded under the Saudi uh, bankrolled uh, PIF umbrella. Did you see the vision of John Rahm, the Masters winner of this year, getting chipping advice from old lefty himself, uh, the biggest, uh, one of the more vocal spokespeople of the Live Tour, Phil Mickelson, before the US Open. It was great vision. I did not. No, that, that, fill me in, please, because I know John and Phil are good mates, so uh, I'd be interested to know just, what they were talking about. It just gave me hope that there can be unity in this <laughs> fractured world. But, uh, okay. no, it was, it was fascinating. Uh, Phil just showing him what he does and, and how he... Because, I mean, Phil obviously is an arch, just an artisan uh, around the greens with his chipping ability. But it was I just thought that's hope for the future. So, look, we, we know that there's a, a Senate inquiry that, um, that politicians in the US are saying that could start within weeks and to just to see whether there's any antitrust violations which prevents monopolies from occurring uh, and also whether this um, investment from uh, the PIF fund and, and this commercial arrangement is in the best interest of the United States uh, as a country. And that could begin within weeks. PGA saying there's no breach of antitrust. Apparently the lawyers are still actually ironing out the details of the commercial partnership. Lawsuits are in the process of being dropped that both sides have filed against each other. So the old question is what happens, how, what happens next? The players... They're not one. They're on all sides are wondering what's going on, and uh, they're not sure that the PGA um, have said that the players who decided not to go to live they'll be compensated, and there's a whole range of questions. Well, Tom Watson, the great Tom Watson, Nick, he's penned an open letter to Commissioner Jay Monaghan, who has taken some leave to deal with a health issue. Um, the PGA, the, the PGA board, and the players. He talks about the hypocrisy, the communication mishandling, no due process, the moral dilemmas. There's ex explanations that are needed and questions unanswered. I'm just going to rattle off, Nick, the questions that he mm. asked because I think he's done us all a favour here. What does yeah. this mean for the tour? What do the players get? What do they give up? Why the secrecy? Why were no players involved? Why were none of the players that are actually on the board representing the players involved? What about the players who didn't go to live due to the moral obligation? Where do they sit in all this now? How does the compensation to those who are loyal, who, those who are loyal work? Because they've said that they'll be compensated. How does that work? Who pays for that? Is it actually going to be paid by the PIF, which would be 
um, uh, quite ironic if that was the case, to say the least. What about the players who left? What happens to them if they're to come back? How is a non-negotiable point referencing um, the belief that the Saudi government had an involvement in 9-11 and um, the, the, the emotional side to that and, and the families that are, are so um, have been so affected by that? How is that non-negotiable point one day clearly negotiable the next. How bad is the PGA's financial situation given that they needed to get this uh, partnership together because the, the funds, the, the money was running out. So how badly are the reserve funds and the overall tour funds depleted? Is this the only solution to the financial situation that they've investigated? And if so, why? What about the non-profit status? Does that still hold? PGA says it does. How does the new for-profit entity actually work? What assets go into it? What assets are sold? I mean, has he missed anything? Well, do, do you want me to answer all those for you now? Or, <laughs> do you have uh... any answers? Because some answers would be great. <laughs> of course not. I have no clue about any of that and, and no one does. And it's great that the legend Tom Watson himself is, is asking those questions in an open letter and uh, hopefully they'll get a response. And to be honest, I think the reason they're asking these questions is because the, the original deal that the four people came along with uh, uh, His Excellency um, Yasser al Um I, I have a feeling it was more of a handshake agreement and then they thought, well, you know what, we'll figure the details out a bit later. And, and uh, all these questions will have to be answered at some stage and it's going to be all done in due process, obviously. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see like everyone else, unfortunately. But it's great that Tom penned that letter so he can sort of get it out in the open because that's what everyone's thinking. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty and, and it could go on for another year or two. That's the real worrying thing because the Live players think they're playing 2024 Live. Uh, the PGA players think that it's gone, the Live now, and that those players who were there have to be punished. How does that work given that the pl- the place they went is funding the whole new... Uh, it, it is just a mess. Joel Damon mm-hmm. saying that we're just going to keep playing until someone says we can't and then when we can't, we're going to go figure out where we can. Although that's probably the best uh, I've heard so far. Hey, um, on the women's side of things, a major this week too, Nick, uh, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, and we've got eight Aussies teeing it up um, and, and, and some that are in really good form and really good chances. Yeah, certainly they're playing at a fantastic golf course as well. Bolter's Roll, which was uh, the scene of many major championships on the men's side. But uh, we've got a good, some good history with the LPGA Championship. Hannah Green won back in 2019 yeah. and Kari Webb back in 2001. So a couple of Aussie victories in this championship. But we've got some uh, all, the, all the top Aussie performers. I know you've got the list of names there, but I just, I just saw uh, as well that Gabby Ruffles got a late invite into the tournament, and that's... Awesome for her because she is a star of the future. And you never know, she might be able to uh, get herself up there a bit in Min, Min Woo Lee fashion and, and possibly sneak one of these. Well, our top two ranked Aussies, uh, we, we can spend a bit of time on them. Uh, ranked number five, Min Ji Lee, and number 15, Hannah Green, who you said won it in 2019. The two-time major winner, Min Ji Lee, though, um, fifth in the world uh, at the moment. Um, just all class and, and, and should be right in the thick of it in terms of favouritism for this, Nick. Oh, for sure. She has the game, you know, in any golf tournament, I think, to uh, or any golf course, should I say, to uh, to be able to perform at the highest level. It's just very steady, rock solid from Tita Green. Her and Hannah Green, to be honest, are mm. some of the best best uh, golfers in the world, male or female, from Tita Green. And then it's just a matter of if the putter can, can light up at the right stage. Um, you know, Minji's been in some good form of late after a bit of a slow start to the season. So... 
I'm looking forward to her to make a really good run at this and hopefully uh, make it three majors. Uh, so the other Aussies in it, Grace Kim, Steph Kuriaku, Currys Davidson, uh, Sarah Kemp, Sue O, Gabby Ruffles, who you mentioned as well. Of the rest, apart from Minji and Hannah, who do you think's best place to give it a real nudge? Oh, well, the Japanese player, uh, Furue, uh, has been playing some incredible golf of late. I really fancy her chances uh, this week, but it's it's hard to go past Nelly Corder when you swing it like the way she does. Yep. It's just... Uh, it's just incredible, but uh, I think the you know the person on everyone's uh, lips at the moment would be Rose Zhang after that incredible performance at Liberty National in New Jersey in a maiden uh, pro tournament for her to now come to uh, a women's major. And if she wins this, well, you know you can write your own ticket basically. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how she backs up from that last performance, and um, she'll go in as one of the favourites. I think Grace Kim's going to have an incredible tournament. I think it'll be a name-up-in-lights performance. Might not be a win, but I think it'll be uh, one of those, this is her first major. Can you believe that? Um, but Nelly Corder, for me, I saw her hit a reverse stick, uh, reverse stick shot with the ball partly in water and flushed it uh, straight down the fairway after finding <laughs> trouble. So that's good enough uh, for me. But, yeah, Nelly Corder, for me, if it's not one of our Aussies, um, I think it's going to be – I think all the big names are going to fire. Just got that feel about it. Um, so good luck to everybody teeing it up and especially the Aussies uh, in the women's PGA uh, this week. Hey, when we come back, uh, Nick's tip of the week. That's been all the news for Ping Golf. Ping Golf equipment is custom engineered, custom fit and custom built for you to play your best. We'll finish it up on Off the Tee after this. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off the Tee. Talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Uh, Nick, before we finish up with your tip of the week for Mizuno Golf, hashtag nothing feels like a Mizuno, who are you giving a mulligan to this week? Of all the weekend's golf action, who needs to take two? Who's getting the mulligan? Uh, it's got to be Rory McIlroy in that wedge into the 14th for par five. If he just knocks that on the green, two putts, uh, he's in a playoff. So got to give it to Rory this week. Brilliantly done. Uh, now, the tip of the week for Mizuno Golf, finding nearest stockist or fitter at mizunogolf.com slash AU. We've spoken a lot about what it took mentally for Wyndham Clark to do what he did to win the US Open. Yeah, I think there's a really good takeaway from uh, from from what he did throughout the week. And, and there, he spoke about his sports uh, psychologist that he works with. And the real key was in those moments when you're not feeling very comfortable, when you're you're feeling the pressure and uh, you're getting out of your normal rhythm. You've got to have a couple of little keys to go to. And I believe he had a couple, which one of them was to remind himself to be cocky because uh, he plays his best golf when he is cocky. Mm. And he also had another little key also in those pressure moments just to slow down a little bit. So now you don't have to take those out with you as well. But before you play your next round of golf, just think about, okay, when things aren't going well, what are a couple of things I should think about? And uh, just make a note of them, either write them down or put them on your phone or something like that. And just remember when things aren't going well, just look at those notes and that'll remind you to get your mind back where it should be. And then that'll help you play much better golf. If you've got a question for Nick Ahern, you can always email us at offthetea at sen.com.au. And the tip of the week is always for Mizuno Golf. Next week, we'll keep building the world's ultimate golfer. Uh, we will also do a strong review, a lengthy review of the women's PGA and everything else that's happening in the world of golf. Nick, until next week, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Uh, and I'm going to start rolling a new nickname for you next week, next week Nick. It's Nick okay. to an O'Hearn, the great record. Oh, oh, <laughs> See I you love next it. week. <laughs> <laughs>